Welcome to the Leadership Drift, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the table here at the Leadership Drip. Um, we stopped by our local Starbucks and we apparently did. they think it's Christmas already. Well, when we, when we release the episode, it'd be like almost Literally. Christmas. <laughs> Well, isn't it Christmas? It's always Christmas. I, I mean, think. it goes Halloween immediately to Christmas. In well, my book. The, except for the day you eat turkey all day long. So, which is also a part I'm of thankful Christmas. For. Also a part of Christmas. <laughs> well, we have a friend and I think a fellow coffee drinker at the table named Stephen Blandino. Uh, he's the pastor of Seven City Church in the Fort Worth, Texas area. He coaches pastors and leaders. He's also a fellow podcaster, hosts a monthly leadership podcast titled The Leader Fluent Podcast. And he's an author of, the, of his most recent upcoming book, Stop Chasing Easy, that comes out in February. In a conversation I'm really excited about yeah. um, having. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Great to be with you guys. Looking forward to our time together. Absolutely. So as a podcaster, and you have a, a different style, we have an interview-based, long-form podcast. Yours are 25-minute kind of teaching kind of style. What is your preference to be the, the teacher with nobody there or sort of this interview conversation style? <laughs> well, I obviously, because I'm not doing interviews and everything, I'm, I'm usually not maybe on this side of the uh, of the mic, I'm usually doing teaching. So I don't know if I can say I have a preference yet since I haven't done the the interview style so much, but, uh, uh, but I, I love just developing uh, leadership content and providing stuff that is practical, fresh, um, relevant, and, and I, I just kind of get right to it. So whenever most of my episodes will be maybe 20 minutes long, but it's just like pure leadership content and then that's it, take it and run. And, uh, so, but looking forward to, to our conversation to guy today, yeah. guys, and being on this side. <laughs> yeah. So what, what birthed sort of the, the idea to do a leadership podcast teaching style like that, where did that come from? You know, I, um, uh, it's something I actually wrestled with for, for, um, you know, probably two or three years and just kind of kept putting it off and everything. And, and, uh, but I just have this passion for leadership mm-hmm. and, and developing content that guys can take and then maybe even use it, reteach it, uh, share with their teams. I, I had a call just, um, a few weeks ago from a guy who said, Hey man, I, I love your last episode. I'm going to actually sit down and just play it for my whole staff and let them listen mm-hmm. to it. It was, all, it was all about, you know, what does it mean to be a hard worker? Like, how do you, how do you define that? Because it, it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And so, so I, I love that. If I can put something in guys' hands that, that helps them develop their own leadership and helps them uh, develop their team and be effective. And it's, it's not just a bunch of fluff, but it feels substantive. I really work hard to make sure the, the quality is there and it's going to be, it's going to add value because I know everybody's time is so valuable. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, let's kind of jump into the conversation then, because I think a lot of what we're talking about, both whether, you know, whatever style your podcast is, a lot of it has to do around with this buzzword called influence, right? We want to influence leaders. Uh, we want to create influence. In fact, you do a lot of coaching uh, and developing and helping young leaders kind of discover what influence is. And so from, your perspective, how do you define or how do you create uh, this this idea or this concept of influence? Yeah, the word influence, you know, it really implies the idea of affecting change, right? So, right. so I define influence as leveraging your God-given resources 
to create positive change in your slice of the world. So think about a couple aspects of that. Um, leveraging your God-given resources. In other words, you have your greatest influence in the areas where God has gifted you. Mm -hmm. and whether that's spiritual gifts, skills, knowledge, whatever it may be. And because let's be honest, very few people have influence outside of that zone, outside of their giftedness. So, so it's leveraging how God has designed you, how he has wired you, how he has gifted you, leveraging that to create positive change in, in, in your slice of the world. And your slice of the world might be business. It might be education. It might be government. It might be arts or entertainment. It might be the social sector, the church, your family, uh, wherever God has given you um, influence, leveraging how he's wired you to bring value to that area. So then let's peel back a layer of the question just for our listeners. And, and, you know, even for us as well, there's a, there's a lot of different ways or ideas in how you can discover what those gifts are those uh those uh, strengths that are your skills are your resources are to to make that influence so for you and your leadership perspective how do you encourage your coach young leaders to discover what those god-given gifts are yeah so um here's one of the things that i'm working with young leaders i'll, I'll af- often kind of play out and that is that that a lot of times people are frustrated because they can't figure out their purpose in life. And so they're kind of pounding the table saying, you know what, God, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? If you'll just tell me, God, I'll pursue it. I'll do it. But I, I, and there's nothing wrong with that question, but I think there's actually a better question that young leaders can ask. And that is, instead of just asking God, what's my purpose? Ask God, how did you design me? Because if you understand how God designed you, it's going to give you clues to what that purpose should be or is. And so um, I, so a lot of times I, I talk about the idea of think about it as a puzzle. Whenever you dump a puzzle out onto a table, you know, what's the first thing you do? You turn all the puzzle pieces face up. And then what do you do after that? Then you organize all the, the edges of the puzzle and then you might organize it by different colors and everything. And then you start putting it together. Well, when it comes to figuring out your life purpose, the first thing is to turn over all the puzzle pieces and then look for the patterns and the themes that emerge out of those puzzle pieces. So I, I talk about, um, I've, got, I've got another book I wrote a few years back called Do Good Works, where I talk about discovering your life purpose. And, and I talk about 10 puzzle pieces to turn over. Mm-hmm. So, so we talk about pain, recognizing that you know, the pain of our past, most of us are just trying to forget it. And yet sometimes God actually wants to redeem that pain for a greater purpose. Um, we talk about experience, like looking at your successes, but also your failures. You know, if you know what your failures are, you can shrink the circle of your life purpose down uh, a, a whole lot. We talk about destiny markers and um, a destiny marker is kind of the idea of, of an event or a circumstance or a situation or a person from your past that reveals what your purpose is, or at least reminds you that God does have a purpose for your life. So kind of processing through that. And then we talk about, you know, a lot of the things that people would think about like personality and spiritual gifts and abilities and skills and knowledge and passions, you know, calling values, all of those things. So, so I challenge, uh, I'll challenge young leaders. Hey, let's, let's help you turn over all of these puzzle pieces and then let's see what pattern or theme emerges and how that points to your purpose in life. And, and when they understand that, it brings a tremendous amount of focus, which then also focuses their influence. Yeah. Because again, you're gonna, your influence is going to thrive in the area where God's gifted you most and designed you. So when I was at Saddleback, we used kind of an acronym called SHAPE, which mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard of that. So yes. and it's, it's essentially doing the exact same thing. But for me as a leader, when I would teach 
shape classes or we would have shape conversations, uh, again, in air quotes, uh, and, and, and what that means, spiritual gifts, heart abilities, personality experiences, all those things. I think the cool thing was, is when you actually help people sort of connect the dots between their pain and their purpose, right? I mean, oh, so, yeah. so for you, I mean, kind of what, what is that experience like for you when you see the light bulb go off or how do you, how do you help people connect and let's just use pain because it's one that we typically uh, most often avoid human nature, right? Painful experiences, but how God is redeeming that pain to use it as a part of your purpose and your plan. So how do you help leaders um, sort of evaluate or assess or include those parts into their narrative instead of excluding them? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, one, some of the pain, I'll just be honest and I'll say, look, some of the pain, God just wants you to be able to release that pain so that it doesn't hold your purpose or your destiny captive. Right. Uh, because if you don't deal with the pain, eventually it's going to show up down the road and it's going to undermine your purpose. So if there's any unresolved pain that you need to address, let's start there. And if that means you need counseling, let's get counseling. If that means that, that you just need to face it and address it, it may mean you need to have a hard conversation with somebody. Uh, let, let's, let's deal with that and then learn to release and let go of that pain. And I'm not a counselor, so, so I'll direct them that, hey, sure, sure you know, let, let's, let's get, get you the help that you need here. But then there may be other areas that yes, it was painful, but God also wants to redeem that for a greater purpose. And because sometimes we're so anxious to get rid of the pain or to just push it aside, we don't ever stop to ask the question, is this something God wants to redeem? Right. And, and also re recognizing that sometimes that pain can be directly connected to a passion point. So for example, you know, it was kind of like the, the person who, um, maybe they were abused or maybe they were um, addicted to, to, to drugs or, or they, they had some kind of pain like that. God delivers them, God frees them. But now suddenly there's this passion point to help other people in the exact same situation that they were. And recognizing, you know, that's not by accident. It's not that God caused that pain, but God's a master at redeeming it, taking it and saying, you know what, I'm going to take what the enemy meant for harm and I'm going to turn it and use it for good, if you'll allow me to do so. Sometimes a conversation is just helping people to have the perspective to recognize God wants to use the thing that maybe you've been trying to silence or just not recognize this is this is uh, significant. I'll give you an example. My, uh, my wife, whenever she was... Um, uh, in college, she was a victim of a of a uh, robbery, and uh, where she was held up at gunpoint, and and um, and that was a very traumatic experience for her. And today, she's a counselor and um, has her licensed professional counseling and certificate, and and uh, all the degrees and stuff that go with that. And so she she is now counseling people and helping people, and even even as a school counselor, she recognized after working for a season on a campus that worked with students that had been kicked off the main campus, mm. she recognized that that education was a whole lot more than just education, yeah. that there was a whole emotional side to it. And so um, I, I've looked at her life so many times and thought, you know what, that extraordinary pain that she dealt with whenever she was in college in that robbery, God's redeemed that. And now he's using it to help other, other young people and, and students and, um, uh, speaking life into situations and helping them realize that doesn't have to be the narrative of your, of your life that controls you. It can actually be a leverage point God uses to help other people as well. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think, Stephen, I really agree that a lot of times we want to avoid the pain points. And, and I think they tell us something. I think pain points always kind of reveal something um, 
And I think a lot of times they reveal passion points because typically what we get most frustrated or irritated by is something that we're passionate about. Like in, so, so in this conversation, young adults in church, I was always as a young pastor in my immaturity, very frustrated by the lack of young adults in church. And so it became almost more of a complaint and something than something I could solve. Um, and so how do we sort of leverage those, those sort of almost irritations of life that we recognize and, and maybe revolutionize or, or move them into something that God's purposed us to do? You know, again, I think a lot, a lot comes back to how we see. It comes back to, to purpose. Here's the thing. As humans, we tend to pursue the path of least resistance, yeah. right? And so as a result, we tend to think that if something is easy, it must be good. And if something is hard, it must be bad. And yet we know that's not true. Deep down, we know that most of the most meaningful and significant things in life are rarely easy, right? Think about it. Getting a college degree isn't easy. Building a healthy marriage isn't easy. Starting a business isn't easy. Jeff, you know, starting a church is not easy, right? And yet all of these things are significant, and so the challenge we have to, we have is that, that, that we want significant, but we also want easy and that duo just doesn't exist. Mm. So, so we have to, it starts with a perspective shift where we recognize what do I want most in life? And am I willing to pay the price to see that happen? Because, you know, and, and I realize we're in a culture where there's like 15 minutes of fame and it all looks so easy. And, and um, you know, it's like the old saying, you know, you're an overnight success 20 years in the making, right? Uh, yeah, it, the, right. the success shows up later yeah. on, but most people don't see the price that had to come with that. So I, I think when we're working with young leaders, especially one of, the, one of the challenges is just helping them to broaden their perspective to realize this, this is what the process looks like. And God is usually developing us and our character in that process. And if we are cooperative with the Holy Spirit as he's developing our character, then he can entrust us with greater opportunity and greater responsibility. If we resist that, that, that what the Spirit's doing, then we're not going to see some of those dreams uh, unfold the way that we'd hope they'd be. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a great answer. Great. A good friend of mine this week uh, preached a message this week on, um, well, it's part of the topic, but anyway, the quote was a lot of us want to be discovered. Very few of us want to be developed. Oh yeah. So yeah, Yeah. I think that's sort of a, a a moniker for, for our generation, for our culture, but it's in that developing it's, I mean, it's even biblically faithful, right? I mean, the great apostle Paul was developed for three years before he ever even Mm -hmm. set foot into full-time ministry, Jesus himself being prepared uh, before he launched his full-time uh, public ministry. So so I think there's a development piece in that that we really have to pay attention to. And I think uh, part of that is is the, the niche or the leadership track that you love to, to do is helping people discover uh, that life track or that life pathway that help them discover that. So, and there are a lot of different ways and variations and people who who uh, do this, but for you kind of talk us through what that personal growth track looks like and how do you help people discover that? Yeah. So years ago I was at a, at a conference with um, uh, where John Maxwell was speaking and uh, I think he had just come out with the 21 laws book. And so this is, this is like the late nineties. And so yeah. um, I'm sitting there in the audience and, and I had, um, I had slowly picked up a, a habit of reading and, 
And so I'm sitting there and he talks about the law of the lid and he talks about the law of process and he talks yeah. you know, just about the importance of, of personal growth being a daily thing. And he challenged everyone that day to create a personal growth plan or a plan for personal growth is how he said it. So, so I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to buy the book, but he also had this kit and this is back in cassette tape days. Right. So he, he had this, he had this kit, he has a giant kit and, and Young uh, listeners, thought, a cassette that, yeah, tape that's right. That's right. They're, they're in museums. You should go check them out. So, uh, so, but you know what, I bought that kit and I went back and I started coming into the office an hour early, a few times a week. And I would pop one of those in, I'd listen to it. I was taking notes in my workbook. And I, what I began to discover was that as I was working my uh, way through that material, it was starting to change how I thought. And I began to recognize the value of having a a plan for your personal growth. That plan is intentional and it begins to maximize your growth because up until then my growth, yeah, I was growing, but it was very haphazard. It was, it wasn't focused. And so that led me on a process where for years I started to create a personal growth plan. And then that kind of evolved into what I call a growth track, T-R-A-C. And, and this is kind of some, the system I use now and I'll, I'll, tr- I'll teach young leaders this is it's a way to make your personal growth plan um, customized to who you are and how you're wired. Because sometimes when you talk to people about a personal growth plan, they're like, oh, I hate structure. I hate, you know, I, well, I like spontaneity and all of that. And what I say is that a growth track allows you to leverage your personality type to grow the way that's going to be most effective for you hmm. uh, because it's really consists of, of four questions that help you uh, put together a, a growth plan. That's intentional. That's focused. That helps you get where you want to go. But at the same time um, is sensitive to how God's designed you and how he's wired you. And uh, so sometimes I'll say this, like um, every leader, every young leader, old leader, doesn't, doesn't matter. Every leader has dreams, has goals, Right. And yet between us and our dreams, there's always a gap. And that gap is a growth gap. And the only way to see our dreams fulfilled is to grow from the person I am today into the person I need to become in order to actually lay hold of that dream. Because when you think about it, there's probably somebody else in the world who's already living your dream. Why? Because they paid the price to grow from who they were to who they needed to become for that dream to actually take place. And so a growth track helps you intentionally close the growth gap so that those things can, can happen. So how then, so you, you use the, the Maxwell methodology, which I mean, John's been beating the growth plan since I've yeah. read John Maxwell. Um, but how do you help a, somebody with this track move from haphazard because i feel a lot of times that my growth has been very haphazard like i'll read a good book and i'm I'm a podcast consumer always listening to something but it's been sporadic and it's been scattered about picking up here and there how do you coach somebody to go hey be focused in your growth to this specific thing or to this specific area and not just sort of gaining massive information from different sources and different ideas yeah, great question. So, so when I talk about a growth track, um, track is actually an, an acronym. So T R A C, and this is the process I'll walk somebody through to to bring that focus and intentionality right. to their their plan for growth. So the T stands for target, and the question that you're asking here is, what are my growth goals? 
it's like you're picking your target. It's, it's like if you open up a map or, you know, a, a mapping app and you say, well, I want to get, this is my destination. That's what you're doing with your target. You're identifying your destination. And people do that every year at, at, with New Year's resolutions, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so the target's not enough. That's the starting place. You got to have the R and the R stands for roadmap. And the question you're asking here is how do I plan to grow? So if this is my target, if this is, if this is, you know, my growth goal, then what's my plan to actually get me there? And what I've discovered is that a good roadmap typically consists of training, resources, uh, coaching, and experiences. So, so training, it might be you go to an event, it, uh, resources, it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a curriculum you're working through, it could be a video, um, uh, coaching, or really any kind of relationship, coaching, mentoring, discipling, mm -hmm. you know, that are, that's going to help you grow and then experiences, things that, that, that you want to do. So for example, if a person, let's say maybe they were in a lot of financial debt and they said, okay, how, how would I put a roadmap together to help me address this? Okay. Well, maybe you go to a, a, um, uh, a, a financial conference. Maybe you read a book on how to eliminate debt. Maybe you uh, meet with a financial advisor. Maybe you decide to update your budget. All of those are, are, are you've just dealt with all of them. You got the training, the resources, the, the coaching and the experience. So that's your roadmap. That's a critical piece that is missing from so many new year's resolutions, right? This year, I'm going to do this. How are you going to do that? Well, I haven't really thought through that part of it. So you got to have a roadmap. The A stands for accountability. And this is the easiest part to leave out of a growth track because it means you got to be vulnerable with somebody. You've got to say, hey, this is the area I want to grow in. And here's what I tell people to do here. When it comes to account accountability, find somebody to hold you accountable, but give them the questions you want them to ask you. Mm, that's good. Because otherwise, you know, it's like if somebody asks you to hold them accountable, it kind of feels awkward, doesn't it? It's kind of like, um, like how much permission do I have to go here, right? So so I say, give them the questions you want them to ask you so they can go there with you and they can ask you, Hey, did you read that book? Hey, what was your biggest takeaway? Hey, how have you applied, you know, this, this piece of wisdom or insight you've learned. And then the last part, the C stands for checkup. And, and the idea here is, you know, how will I evaluate my growth progress? How will I measure it? How will I evaluate it? And maybe you, you kind of do a, a checkup. Um, each quarter, as well as attaching deadlines to all your steps in your roadmap. So, so that process, the target, the roadmap, the accountability, the checkup kind of creates a, an airtight system to, uh, to, to grow intentionally and strategically. So what I say is this, is that, that first, don't try to create a growth track for every area of your life. You've got your entire life to grow, so you don't got to do it all this year. Um, but, but then drill down, focus on, on an area. And in all of that, take into consideration your personality type. Yeah. So if somebody is super structured, they're going to love this, right? And they're going to do longer goals. If somebody is much more spontaneous, I'd say do a 30-day 30, a 30 goal. And, and maybe if you're more relational, maybe you need to focus more on the uh, relationship component of your roadmap or the coaching component of your roadmap. Maybe you're growing with friends in a specific area of your life instead of doing it all yourself. Find those parts of your, your personality that you can leverage to help you grow and, and stay focused on that. So I think I think you you're answering the question that I want to ask in a in a roundabout way. So let me let me be a little bit more specific because yeah. I think a lot of times, especially leaders. Um, they're, they're, they want to be high achievers, typically type a personalities. I mean, you could paint the, you know, the stereotype if you wanted to, but one of the things that I think most often stymies leadership are leaders who feel overwhelmed 
who, who are overcome and overwhelmed by the inability to actually stay on track. If I can use your, yeah. your thing. So how do you help leaders who are saying, well, I've tried this, I've tried Maxwell, I've tried Lindsay, whoever, right. Whatever right. organizational pieces out there, we've tried to do it all. So how do you help leaders overcome being overwhelmed with the failure or the inability to follow through? Yeah. One thing I would say is just reduce the number of, of growth plans you have or growth tracks you have. Um, I remember one time I was, um, I'd sent my growth, uh, growth track to a friend who had really kind of coached me in the area of growth planning several years ago. And I had 12 areas that I wanted to grow in that year. And I sent it to him. And the first question he asked me was this, have you calculated how much time it's going to take you to do everything you've put in your growth plan? And I said, no. And he said, well, you need to do that. And so I did. And I realized I have a new part-time job, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so I immediately realized I got to rein this in. And so I think I may, you know, have reduced it to eight or something like that. But then I realized, you know what, that's too many as well. And so now I'll get it down to three or four goals a year, yeah. personal growth goals. And, and just, just take that pressure off to say, again, I've got my whole life to grow. Let me focus on the areas that are going to be most important. And here's the other thing. We tend to think all growth is focused, should focus on our weaknesses. And what I say is, is when it comes to creating a growth plan, it should either build on your strengths or address your liabilities. Yeah. Mm. Um, not, and don't worry about the weaknesses. Now, here's what, how I'm defining weaknesses. I'm defining weaknesses as those things God did not gift you to do. Right. Um, so focus your growth on your strengths because it's through your strengths you're going to make your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God or whatever God's entrusted you to and focus on your liabilities because your liabilities could pull the rug out from under you and can could, could ultimately hurt you. So if you've got a balance of both of those, then there's an intrinsic component that's been added into your growth plan where now part of it is focused on things you love to do and you're good at, and now you're getting even better at it. And then you got a couple areas that you're saying, okay, I got, I got to shore these up. These are important because I, I need to be healthy in these, these areas. So I think bringing that focus, reducing the number, uh, I think all of that's helpful. And um, I, I had a staff member, um, uh, last year who told me, would it be okay for me? Because we require all of our staff to have a personal growth plan and um, they'll give me their growth plan at the beginning of the year of here's the areas I want to grow in this year. And, and this person said, would it be okay if I just give you one growth goal every quarter and wait until that quarter to give it to you instead of giving them to you all at the beginning of the year? They said, because sometimes like things change and you get six months in and maybe you don't have the passion to grow in that area or you don't feel the need like you did earlier. So I said, sure, absolutely. That's an example of leveraging their personality type mm -hmm. to, to focus on one goal at a time. And, and that's what they did. They'd focus on one growth goal every three months. On the, on, and again, I'm, I feel like I'm always a student at the table asking Same. questions for myself. So <laughs> exactly. on the, on the target piece, Stephen, um, what and I've heard this from other areas, but I also know I'm just as guilty of it. How do we avoid the vagueness of the growth? Like I want to get healthy. Well, what does that yeah. mean? Right. Yeah. So how do we, when we're really picking something and picking an area of growth or picking, <clears throat> excuse me, an area of change, how do we get really hyper-focused and detailed on where that target is? Sure. So I think, a, you know, broad categories or big buckets, you got spiritual, you got mental, emotional, physical, relational, financial. So, so you might start with the broad category, but then within that category, uh, thinking about what do you want to accomplish 
um, by when is it measurable? So for example, if a person says, you know, I want to lose weight. Okay, great. Does that mean if you lose one pound, you've achieved your goal? Or do you say, you know what? I want to lose 15 pounds um, by this date. Well, now you've gotten specific, but the real key comes to your roadmap. So you might say, I'm going to work out this many days a week uh, for this long. I'm going to um, cut my calorie intake to this limit. I'm going to completely remove soft drinks from my diet. I'm going, you see, now you're getting very specific. Like I had somebody, um, you know, they put together their growth track and they gave it to me to review one time. And, and on their health goal, they said, uh, I want to, I want to cut down on sweets. I said, okay, that's great. But what does that mean? Does yeah. that mean, you know, you can, uh, have one slice of cake a week or like, Instead of one a day, you'll just cut a day out that week. Like, what does it mean? The more specific you can be, now you can start to measure it. And so I think that applies both to the target and the roadmap. And uh, if it's not measurable, then, then uh, and, and you can't say specifically, I know I will have achieved this when I've done this, then you, you probably need to get drilled down a little further on it. And I, I'm going to just make confession. I think <laughs> my vague goal setting or targets has been my fear of accomplishing the task. Like if I can be vague yeah, yeah, about yeah. it, then yeah. I can count. There's, I can count something as a win that wasn't a win. There, there's like, no sure. guilt or shame in not meeting I'm, the, yeah. the objective. I'm gonna yeah. cut down on my sweets, which means I'm gonna only eat them four <laughs> times a week or whatever. Like I didn't have sweets on Sunday. I'm good, right? Like yeah. I would. And so I think and it's a push on a lot of us who are have struggles with that to be specific, to name the tar target, to really sort of dig in and and map out where we want to go with it, and, and so. With the emotional side, how do we how do we not beat ourselves up if we don't hit the goal? Yeah, well, one, I think if you have checkups along the way, you can see how you're trending. Yeah, and and then you can make mid course corrections. So, you know, I'll tell a person, look, if you get a couple of months in, three months in, and you suddenly realize, you know what, I set a goal that was it's just not attainable or it's so far out. I'm just not being realistic. And that's one of the challenges when we're setting, creating a growth plan is, is when you set it, you know, you're all motivated, you're inspired. And, and, but then suddenly it hits you how much work this is requiring. And so I say, it's okay to give yourself permission to make a mid course correction and say, I need to revise this goal uh, because it's just not realistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that, there's that tension between it needs to stretch you but it's also got to be doable. Um, otherwise, you know, you just every year, it's like, oh, another year I failed, another year it just didn't happen. And and pull back and think baby steps and, you know, what is achievable? What would be uh, what would be a win? And I think if I could translate this into, into a different context, uh, this is, we're primarily talking about personal growth, right? This is yeah. the focus, but in terms of leadership and leading a ministry or leading an organization, these same rules actually apply when you create these smart goals, which you're kind of talking yeah. about, you know, measurable, attainable, all, you know, all of those kinds of things, right? When you do the SWOT analysis or whatever, these are actually critical conversations to be having within the church, because a lot of times as pastors, and mm -hmm. I know I'm guilty, I'm going to assume you are because I know you that well, <laughs> okay? So, you know, guilty of saying, you know, our goal, you know, for church this year is we're going to, we're going to do these, have we're going to have, you know, 80 people saved. Right. Well, that's yeah. awesome. That's fantastic. How are you going to do that? Like, what are your outreach mechanisms? Like, what is, what is the track process? Like, I mean, all those kinds of things. So I think if we could translate that into a, into a ministry or leadership reality, 
we, we begin to see the real value of, of being very intentional with not only the gifts and calling that God has given us to lead in a local church context, let's just use that primarily, but also the responsibility we have to actually track that process along the way. Right. Right. And sometimes a goal, you know, we tend to think of goals as, well, I grew from this to this. Yeah. Sometimes the goal needs to simply be my goal is to create the system that will help sustain where we ultimately one day want to be. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. That takes real time and energy and money and all those things. So, so sometimes you're creating almost like the infrastructure to support what you ultimately want to create one day. And, um, and so it's okay to think about even your goals in, it's going to take three goals to get to this giant goal type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's be honest, and I'm, I'm going to use this as a perfect caveat into the book, but this is really difficult to do. This is not, this is, this is, this is not just, Oh, you know, flippant, like, I'm just going to do this now. Like it's, this is hard because if losing it, weight was easy. Yeah. It's, it's soul, it's, it's soul corrective. It's mind corrective. It's talent corrective and gift corrective. Like, like this is hard work. And right. So you you're writing this book. It's going to be released in February. And it, I think it's a really cool title. I think it's a blunt title, which I like even more is stop chasing easy. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if there's, we could talk a lot about the negatives. We try to focus primarily on the positives on the show about this generation, but certainly a caveat of conversation is uh, this generation coming up likes easy, right? They like mm-hmm. easier conversations, not harder conversations typically. So tell us about the book. Tell us about what stop chasing easy really is. Yeah. So a few years ago, I was reading through the book of Philippians and um, as I'm reading through, uh, I was reading it in the message paraphrase, and, and I came across a passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. In Philippians 3, Paul is talking about, you know, how he's pursuing the goal of knowing Christ, right? Um, he's going to press on. And he, toward the end of that chapter, um, he, he talks about others that are pursuing other goals that are not noble goals and, and goals that are, are against uh, Christ. And in the message, he, he makes this uh, statement. He says, uh, when he's talking about these other people, he, he says, all they want is easy street. Mm. They hate Christ's cross. And then he says this, but easy street is a dead end street. Mm. Wow. And when I read that, what stood out to me is that Paul is writing these words while he's sitting in prison. Mm-hmm. So he was experiencing anything but easy street. And so I thought, and I started to just think about the letter of Philippians. I thought, okay, he gives thanks in Philippians. He says repeatedly to rejoice. And, you know, we see joy as a common theme throughout the book. We, he talks about contentment. And I, and I began to realize, okay, time out. Um, when he says easy street is a dead end street, he's talking from experience because he, he's not, you know, he's not enjoying all the easy breaks. He's in prison and was there for probably at least two years. Mm-hmm. And yet he's writing these words because he recognizes what's at stake. And he recognizes that, uh, you know, life is temporary and, and, and choosing a path of significance is worth it, even though there's a price that comes with it. So stop chasing easy and let's get on about the business of what really matters most. And uh, so when I saw that, that, that idea, I just couldn't get away from and eventually it evolved into this book. And, and um, in, in the book, I, I, I basically unpacked the entire book of Philippians wow. and, and we look at four different trade-offs 
that I think are critical if you're going to stop chasing easy. And each chapter uh, kind of covers one of the trade-offs. We talk about mindset, we talk about maturity, we talk about mission, and we talk about movement. And um, just just that with each of those, are, there's a trade-off you have to make. So for example, with, with maturity, the trade-off is you got to trade comfort for character. Mm. With, with mission, it, the trade is, you know, trading the temporal for the eternal. Um, with with um, uh, mindset, is, is trading pessimism for, for perspective, you know, for, for movement. It's trading regression back to easy street for progression uh, with what God's called you to do. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, 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 the idea behind the book. Oh, I like it. So how do we... I mean, all of us have a tendency to want to take the easy road, Stephen. Like we, mm-hmm. we just, it's innate in us. Yeah, that's right. Just, it is. I would much rather like, so um, we were talking to somebody else earlier about running. My neighborhood is all hills, yeah. like all hills when I run. So it's like a 200 feet elevation up and down. And I run at the run club on Monday where it's like 15 feet. Every day of the week would rather run the 15 foot elevation climb than the 200 foot <laughs> elevation climb. And it's almost discouraging some days to step out my door and go, oh, I got to run. How do we intentionally choose the harder road? It's so daily, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> didn't it, run today. Yeah, yeah, that, that. That's didn't right. Run today. That's right. So uh, uh, and I'll be honest, I mean, like like physical health stuff, like the, the, the work outside, that is that does not come natural for me. It is it is probably my biggest challenge when it comes to, to growth. It just it's hard. Um, and, and, um, you know, I heard somebody say one time that, you know, when, when Jesus talks about taking up your cross and following him, uh, take up your cross daily and follow him, that they said that the, the problem with taking up your cross is it's so daily. It, mm. it, it's, it's every day. It, it's hard. And, and so I, I think there's a couple of things to think about on when you're facing challenging roads, difficult roads, um, some of those roads are handed to you. Mm-hmm. And then some of those roads you choose, right? Yeah. So for example, um, a few years ago, I had um, heart failure. Um, I, I grew up, uh, always had a um, mitral valve prolapse, which is a really common condition, basically where your valve doesn't properly open and close. And so every year I would go to my cardiologist, they would do a checkup. They would always check out fine. And they, they said, uh, they'd say, we'll see you next year. Yeah. And so in 2014, I went to my cardiologist, he did a checkup. Everything was great. He said, I'll see you next year. Nine days later, my valve ruptured. Oh, wow. And, um, and so, you know, fluid started to fill my lungs. I thought I was coming down like with the flu. And I remember it happened on a Sunday morning. I never even felt it. I was probably preaching when it happened. And, um, and, and I remember walking outside, it was in the month of March. So the air was a little chilly. I remember walking outside and as I was breathing in, I could feel my lungs kind of felt like they were burning. And I thought that's kind of odd. And um, just throughout the rest of the afternoon, it just kind of got worse and worse. I thought I was coming down to the flu. The next morning I wake up and I told my wife, I said, I think you need to take me to the ER. And she takes me, they think I have pneumonia. And, um, but when they realized it had just started the day before something wasn't adding up. And so I was kind of at one of those little, those smaller little hospital clinic type things. And they said, well, you, we need to transfer you to the hospital. They transfer me. And, um, long story short, my cardiologist comes in and he realizes what's happened. He said, this is serious. He said, you need open heart surgery. We're going to care flight you downtown to the, uh, heart unit. And, um, they do that. 
I have open heart surgery. I, I was simultaneously experiencing heart failure and pulmonary failure. And um, they did open heart surgery and I was in the hospital for eight days and at home recovering for six weeks. Um, and our church was only 18 months old at that time. Oh, wow. So, you know, I didn't preach for six weeks. I was um, one of those weeks was Easter. And, um, and so that was a hard road that was handed to me. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't choose that. I didn't pick that, but that's what I, that's what I got to deal with. Right. So with those types of hard roads, it's all about how you see them. It's all about perspective. And so I think about the apostle Paul in, in Corinthians, first Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about, um, you know, his, um, you know, you know, the, his thorn in the flesh. Again, if you read that passage in the, in the message, it's really interesting because he, he makes a point. He, he calls his thorn in the flesh, uh, the gift of a handicap. Mm. And then he says, you know, he begged God to take it away. And God said, you know, my grace is enough. And, and he said, once I heard that, he said, I was glad to let it happen. And he said, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. Yeah. And I remember when I read that, I, I read that after my um, heart failure about three months afterward. And I remember it's like, I just felt this sense, this nudge of the Holy spirit where the Lord said, can you thank me for your heart failure? Mm. And I'm like, wait, time out. That doesn't even sound biblical, right? Like, why would I thank God for my heart failure? God didn't cause it. Um, why would I thank him for it? And what I realized, what I sensed the Holy Spirit saying was in thanking me for it, you're thanking me for the gifts I gave you in the middle of it. Yeah. You're, you're appreciating the gift of grace. You're appreciating the fresh perspective I've given you. You're appreciating the trust you had to learn. You're appreciating your family and your friends who came alongside you and supported you in that time. Like you're, you're, you're thanking me for the gifts I provided for you in the middle of it. All of that requires perspective. Mm. It's one thing to, to have, I talk about three different types of thanks in the book. I talk about end thanks, in thanks, and for thanks. End thanks is when you thank God when something's over, like when it's ended, like, thank God that test is behind me. Thank God I don't got to take that class again, right? Um, and then there's in thanks, like when Paul said, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, and so that's learning to say, okay, God, I'm going to thank you in the middle of this. But then there's four things where you actually thank God for the hardship or the trial because of the growth you experience because of it. Hmm. That takes perspective. So whenever, whenever there's challenges and hardships that are handed to you, it all comes down to perspective. When there are challenges that you pursue, that you choose, then it comes down to purpose because that's when you got to remind yourself of the why behind what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like in, in, in marathons and I'm not a marathon runner, but they say about the 21 mile mark is where you hit the wall. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so they talk about how, you've got to pace yourself in the first five miles so that you've got reserves left for the last five miles. And so I think pace and purpose are the key to longevity. You got to have the right pace. We're not going to run like there's no tomorrow. You're going to pace yourself. And then when you hit that wall, you recognize, you remember, why did I sign up for this marathon in the first place? Right. It's the purpose that keeps you going. Yeah. And it, it takes both those pace and purpose to keep you going. So I think when it comes to hardships, the ones that you don't choose, it comes down to your perspective. The ones you do choose, it comes down to the ultimate purpose that's driving you and, and having a sustainable pace in that process. That was probably a longer answer than you wanted. Yeah, no, it no it's, it's a great good. answer. And I, as you were kind of talking, obviously I was reminded of the, the story of, of the, the three amazing men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are obviously 
you know, thrown into the, the fiery furnace. And it just struck me how, how God flourishes in the fire. There were a lot of things that God could have done, you know, through, through the King, uh, through Daniel, through, through them to prevent them from even touching the fire, sure, sure. but he chose to flourish in the fire with them. Right. So I think, I think when we approach hard conversations, whether they're chosen or whether they're given, God flourishes in that moment. It's where it's where he proves his faithfulness. It's where, you know, you see the true kind of um, glory of his presence and his power yeah. in your life. And so we don't seek hardships just so that we can say, you know, God is faithful, but whether they're given or they're pursued per se, but. I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's the image. Yeah, and that, that's a great that's a great point, yeah. Rob. Because if if a person um, like if everything's easy, then where can you point to God ever showing up? Right, right, yeah. right. And, and it's then you can take all the credit for yourself, right? It, it's in like the hard times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We sure do. It's in the hard times yeah. where we can point to the faithfulness of God. And we can say this is what God did whenever you know I was at the end of me. Yeah. So Stephen, is a road ever not hard? Like, like, I mean, it, let's take it, you know, the blessings of God are great and abundant. And there are times that things just go well and seem to go our way. Um, is there ever seasons that out of obedience and God's blessing that it, that it is easy? I think it's easier. You know, I think there are moments when it's not as hard. It's not as difficult. Um, you know, but, but, uh, the length of those seasons is obviously going to vary. There are moments when you're enjoying flourishing and sometimes it's easy in one area of life, but it's hard in another area. Yeah. Um, and it may just feel like you're in this great rhythm with your spouse and things are awesome. Uh, but then maybe in this other area, uh, at work or whatever, it's just like, man, this is, this is a tough hill, a tough hill to climb. Um, and then sometimes hard shows up in different ways. So for example, when a church is booming, like it's just growing like crazy, like people from the outside can look at that and say, man, look at how they're just blowing up. I mean, it's just amazing. And yeah, that's fun and exciting. But what you don't see is also the pain behind the blessing. Yeah. yeah. And the pain may be, we can't keep up hiring the right people or enough people, or we, you know, yeah, this is awesome, but, but now we've got to do this, this, and this, and it's going to cost us $5 million to do it. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to raise that money, right? There, there's always another layer to it. Yeah. And so, you know, Sam Chan talks about the importance of raising your pain threshold. And when you hit your pain threshold and you're not willing to raise it any longer, then you're going to stop growing because it, the, the growth just got too painful. Yeah. Yeah. Love Sam Chan been on the show. Good friend of the, good friend of the university. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, he's a great guy. He was gracious enough to endorse my book. So I love, I love Sam. Oh, nice. Very cool. So kind. Sam is one of the kindest, like he has taken time with me, like phone calls. Like he's like, and he just love it. Every time he's on the phone, like he, he like exudes joy. Like, so Mm. like friends, if you want to listen to another episode after you listen to Steven, go back and listen to Sam Chan. It is a leadership 101 class yeah. with a guy who just is so joyful all the time and so um gosh i have so many i know <laughs> right? thoughts on this. like where do we go from yeah. here <laughs> so in this context of stop chasing easy in in sort of this idea especially in the book of philippians because i've been in, in myself studying the book of philippians um and, and had that revelation paul's in prison but it's his most 
joyful book. It's a book that he doesn't bring any kind of correction to the church of Philippi, mm. just really celebrates them, brings some encouragement. Um, so how do we, how do we know maybe in choosing this road when we get to the next sort of crossroads, you use the Robert Frost, the, you know, sort of expression, there's two roads and take the road less traveled. How do we know when we're chasing that road or, or not chasing that road, how we get to another cross point of decision? Um, you know, there's, there's going to be moments. So, so I, I think sometimes what initially is hard eventually becomes easy. Mm, okay. It's always hard at first because you've not done it before. Right. You don't have the experience. Um, your courage hasn't required that. So initially it requires an extra step of faith, more courage. But when you do enough reps, then you've reached a point where, okay, this, what was once hard doesn't feel hard anymore. And that's when those crossroads show up where God says, okay, you've kind of gotten comfortable. Let me stretch your vision. There's something, there's a new hill to climb. There's a new mountain. And so then all of a sudden we find ourselves saying, okay, I've got to, I've got to take another courageous step. I've got to do something I haven't done before. And, and I don't know if there's a, there's not necessarily a, a specific timeline on right. that. I just think we all reach those moments where we accomplish something great. You know, you, you, you climb and you kind of rest, you assimilate, but there's always another climb. There's always another moment where, where God starts birthing fresh vision mm -hmm. inside of you. And you've got to decide, am I going to, am I going to climb again? And am I going to step into this? Or am I going to just say, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of nice here. It's kind of, kind of comfortable. And the older we get, let's just be honest, the older we get, comfort is nice, right? I mean, it's just, it's like, you, you can reach a point where it's like, you know, I've reached, I've experienced enough wins, enough, enough positive things. I could kind of just coast on out with this and everything would be fine. And yet, why would we want to do that when, when we've got more to offer than we've ever had? And yet we're about to put a lid on it because we came to the crossroads and we just decided, I, I don't want to make another climb. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to, yeah, it's a crossroads, but I think I'll just kind of stay where it is. I, I see this happen all the time with pastors. Like they, they grow, they build a great church and then things change, but they don't want to make the hard changes in their church. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they just kind of plateau and it, it just starts to decline. And, you know, they go into retirement. I've got a friend who, a mentor who just, uh, I've watched him lead his church through some very difficult challenges and changes over the last several years. Um, and what I so appreciate is he's reaching the point where he's about to hand off the church. And what I so appreciate is he made all the hard decisions before he handed it off to the next guy. So it could be healthy when he handed it to him. Yeah. And I love that because when he came to the crossroads, he still picked the hard road because he yeah. knew what, what was at stake. And he was thinking about the long-term. And I think we develop those habits of choosing the hard road early yeah, on, right? way to say it. Oh yeah. Right. So, so we, we are either preconditioned or culturally conditioned or situationally or circumstantially conditioned a lot of times to either choose the easy road or the hard road. Now, all of those things are overcomable, but I think it depends on the threshold or the level which we want to incorporate that habit of choosing the hard road in our lives, right? And so for our, for our young listeners and, you know, for our, our Gen Z young adults, I mean, choose the hard road early because yeah. those habits will carry you 20, 30, 40 years down the road in ministry and leadership and organizational 
uh, growth or whatever it is that you're going to do, choose the hard road early because that's a habit that you need in your life, not only for now, but for much, much later. Oh, that's that so good, Rob. So good. Leaders that aren't Gen Z yeah. start choosing the hard road now. Yeah, it's never because too late. It's, yeah, it's just right. building on that habit um, to develop and grow because I, I remember we talked to Sam Chan. Sam's, again, coming back to the conversation, he was like, at the time, turning 64, 65, I don't remember. He named yeah. his age at the time. And he was telling us about the mentors he was calling about decisions he was making. And I was like, Sam, you're like in your 60s. And he goes, why would I quit now? You know? <laughs> so Sam, even that, that yeah, in the yeah. 60s was still yeah. persevering yeah. and choosing difficult paths and making changes because there was still more work to do. It's the, the yeah. Caleb in the book of Joshua who says he's at 85. Now I'm 85. Let's go take that hill. There's still, I don't think it's ever too late to navigate that. Right. And like you're saying, Rob, it's never too early to develop the habit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, so many times we like, we want to affirm, affirm, affirm um, people, compliment, cheer them on and everything, thinking that that's going to give them the inner strength to do those hard things. Um, but I heard, I heard uh, Tim Elmore say something recently that I thought was so good. He said, genuine self-esteem is built from achievement, not just affirmation. Yeah. Hmm. And I thought that is so good that, that if, if you want to feel good about yourself, do something hard, accomplish something significant and be able to look and say, you know what, look, look what God helped me do and celebrate that. The, the, the sense of uh, self-esteem you have from that is far greater than if somebody says, you know what, uh, you're awesome, right? You're amazing. Uh, well, gee, thanks. But when I can point to something amazing I've done, then it's like that adds a whole nother layer to it where you feel like, okay, this, this I, I paid the price and, and here's the outcome of it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. These are great conversations yeah. that I, I'd love to get to. I can't actually wait to get a hold of the book. So looking forward to when that comes out in February. Um, and the 2022. Book is, that's 2022. Wow. I know it's coming close, right? Coming close. Stop <laughs> chasing easy. Um, and uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the show, uh, Stephen. We've enjoyed our time, but we have one final question. Okay. And that's a question we ask all of our guests on the show. And it's, it's an open-ended question, so you can answer it however you wish. But okay. what is one lesson that you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? So I learned how to pray in college. Mm -hmm. Great answer. And that did not happen in the classroom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I went to a Bible college. We opened class with prayer, right? Right, right. But I learned to pray because I had a pastor and a youth pastor and a mom who all prayed. And, you know, prayer is one of those things that you, it's more caught than taught, right? So I learned to pray by hearing other people pray. Amen. And, and that happened during late high school and, and through college where, um, you know, I just hearing others pursue God and, and uh, seek him in prayer um, was just transformational and, and, and was powerful. And, and so I'm grateful for that because um, I, I realized um, like for my mom, I mean, she's an incredible prayer warrior. And uh, when she prays, people often say, man, I just love the way your mom prays. Like, it's amazing. Like she touches God, but they don't know the backstory right. of the, of the challenges that she had to go through that drove her to her knees where she learned to pray. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what, if I can, if some of that can rub off on me, if I can, if I can hear that and let that shape me. And I just am so grateful because in my college years, I had three individuals in my life that knew how to pray. 
and I got to hear them. Yeah, and uh, it, it was transformational. Man, great answer. That's yeah. it. That, I listen. That I learned to pray by hanging around people who pray. Like that's how it works. What I, what yeah. I would not give to have one more of my grandmother's prayers. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that's right. I could call her. I could call her on the phone, and I wouldn't have to say anything. And she prayed for 20 minutes. I mean, just it was a yeah. sermon. Yeah. It was a prayer sermon, is what it was. I, I'd love you probably needed it back then. I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, it has been so great to have you on the show and to connect. Um, the book is "Stop Chasing Easy." Will be out February of 2022. Be on the lookout for that. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got a seat at the table. Thanks for coming on with us. Hey, thanks so much. Great to be with you guys and appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, would it be okay if I just told them where they can access the book at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, Stopchasingeasy.com is the site and they can order from there. And there's also some some great free bonuses that are available if they get the book and... um, and so they can awesome. check it out there or stephenblandino.com is uh, tons of leadership resources you can access there and, and uh, podcast, all that kind of stuff. So right. thank you guys so much. Not a problem. The podcast is the Leader Fluent Podcast. So make sure to yes. check that out too. Great podcast. So Stephen, we appreciate your time and thanks hey, for us. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.